Thank you for joining us today on the 4th of July. How many are happy for freedom in the nation? Amen. Our country is free. Amen. You are free. I'm not going to preach a message on freedom, though that would be cool. That would be cool if I did. But the Lord has me wanting to preach something else today. Open up your Bibles with me to Psalm chapter 1. How many are doing something tonight? Anybody got plans today, tonight? All right, just stay out of trouble, all right? Don't embarrass yourself in the name of Jesus, amen? Amen. It's all right to have a party. Just invite the Holy Ghost to make it a Holy Ghost party because there ain't no party like a Holy Ghost party because the Holy Ghost party. What? What? Ain't... <laughs> okay, okay. Holy Ghost party don't stop. That's right. That's right. Amen. We uh, have an annual time for elders and deacons to come to our house. That happened yesterday. And if you want to be an elder or deacon, you desire a good thing, get in the 101, 201, and then you can come partay with the pastor at the crib. Come on. Amen. So if you ever see any of those pictures and you're like, man, I want to come party at the pastor's house. Well, come be an elder or deacon then. We don't play favorites. Amen. We, we, we base it on whether or not you want to be a disciple for Christ. And by the way, you can come to my house at other times other than that. So that was a good time for us yesterday. Psalm chapter 1, somebody say blessed. Amen. The word blessed means to be prosperous. The word blessed also means to be happy. The word blessed means highly favored. All of those definitions you can apply when you see the word blessed. Happy is the one. You could read it like that. Favored is the one. Prosperous is the one. That word blessed connotates so many things. But in our day and age, we have lost what it means to be blessed. Now, most of the time, you only hear it when somebody sneezes, right? God bless you. And that's done out of superstitions. That's not even done out of a religious sense from the scripture. That's done out of superstition where they believe sneezes maybe opened up your soul and they had to protect you by saying God bless you so a demon wouldn't get in there. Or maybe you would sneeze out your soul, things like that. That's superstition. There's nowhere in the Bible where it says to say God bless you after somebody sneezes. Because otherwise, why don't we do it after other bodily noises? You know what I'm saying? We, we really need God to help us after some bodily noises, and I'll just leave it at that, right? But we, we have, as Christians, become superstitious in many ways. And then other times, like in a church like this, it could be our greeting. You know, God bless you, or as you're saying goodbye to somebody, God bless you. And that's wonderful. I do it myself. And you're basically saying to them, you know, we're praying God's peace, blessing, prosperity, favor upon your lives. But many times we're saying it without really thinking what that means, because God won't bless a mess. Are you listening to me? God is not going to bless your mess. Now, God loves you just the way you are, but too much lets you stay that way. And so when we talk about God blessing somebody, we don't mean for God to bless them as they are in their sin or if they're doing something that's disobedient to God. That's what we're going to learn today when we learn about being blessed. Some may say blessed. Thank you. We have to understand what it means to be blessed. And so I want us to hear this today as if it was for the first time because when I started off in Christianity, one of the first books that I read was the book of Psalms. How many have ever read the book of Psalms before? Raise your hand. Well, I'm going to see everybody. Most of us here, that's one of the most popular books. And how many can relate to me if that was one of the first books that you read as a Christian? Nobody can relate to me. Okay, okay, sister over there, brother over here. It was one of the first books that I read. On the count of three, shout out one of the first books you read. One, two, three. Those are good books too. Amen. Amen. So when I went to this book, I was messed up. I was tore up from the floor up. I needed a checkup from the neck up. I was busted and disgusted. Are you listening to me? 
I was living on Barely Get Along Avenue next to Grumble Alley. Come on, somebody. That's where I was at. I wasn't right. I wasn't right with, with a lot of things, but I had just accepted Jesus, and I knew that Jesus had filled me with his goodness. I knew that I was changed. I knew that I had been rearranged, but my thinking wasn't changed. The way I was acting wasn't changed. If you would have saw me the next day, I mean, a lot of the big actions did stop. I didn't do drugs or get drunk, but I was still cussing. I was still looking at women like I shouldn't have because what was on the inside hadn't come out yet on the outside. And I believe that when like we go to a message like we had last week in first service, and by the way, the message is, are being different in every service right now. So if you missed a second or if you weren't here for first last week, go and check them out. They're all on the app online and, and, and on the Facebook. And so what I had to understand was how to live as God had made me. I was made a child of God. Now I had to learn to live as a child of God. I had to learn to live as my identity was. I was born again, but I had to learn to live to be born again. How many can understand that? How many know the moment you were born again, you didn't immediately start living like like Jesus in every way of your life. And there are some of you right now that are not living like Jesus, but you're born again. Others of you are not born again, and you're not living like Jesus, and that means you're going to hell, okay? So if you want to go to heaven, get born again, believe in Jesus. But there are some of you, and, and as much as, as I as a pastor don't like this, but it is true, there are some of you that know Jesus. You are born again. You are going to heaven, but you are not living like Jesus. You're not living like the way he wants you to live. And the issue is, is that you don't don't know what he has for you. You are scared to try to live for him because you think you're going to fail him. You, you are scared to join a Bible study or discipleship because you think you're going to let him down and others down and then you're going to be a hypocrite. But let me just tell you right now, that's not what a hypocrite is. A hypocrite, and you can even look it up in the English dictionary, but specifically in the Bible dictionary, I can just tell you right here, a hypocrite is not somebody with mistakes. That's not what the word means. That is not what the word means, somebody with mistakes. A hypocrite is somebody with mistakes that pretends they don't have them, and then, here's the key, judges others who have those same mistakes as if they're better than them. Do you see that that's the definition? How many can say amen if you believe that's the definition? I mean, I'm not making it up up here, right? I mean, that's the definition. And so for some of you, you're afraid to fail by setting out this journey with you in Christ to live for him. But I want you to understand this. You've already started the journey of Christianity at the finish line. When Jesus said it is finished, that was for you and your salvation. So you don't have to worry now about failing and losing something that he's already given you by you wanting to be obedient. As a matter of fact, in your heart to be obedient, you'll begin to see and experience the blessings of God. So yes, you can be on your way to heaven, but you can also be going to heaven tore up from the floor up like I was, I'm telling you. And you can be going to heaven without the blessings of God. You can be going to heaven all messed up and missing out what he has. And so this is where we as Christians, like I believe in backsliding, but I don't believe backsliding is a Christian struggling or growing or going through their issues. I don't believe that's what it is. And sometimes the preachers have made it so, uh, that blurred that line so much that you come to church and you think you got to get saved every week. Did anybody ever go to a church like that where you feel like you had to get saved every week? Or did you ever feel like you had to get saved every week? And so the issue isn't whether or not we're saved. I want to resolve that. Come on, somebody say Jesus is Lord. If you truly believe that you're saved, okay, everybody take a deep breath. 
Say, thank you, Jesus, I'm saved. Hallelujah. Amen. By the grace of God, thank you for the blood. We took the communion for the body that was broken for me, the blood that was shed. Okay, now from that place of security, not fearing your heavenly Father, get some confidence that he wants to bless you. Build up your faith. Get hope in your soul that things can change, that what you're looking at, at your, in your own life or in the culture you're in or in your community doesn't have to stay that way. When we see things that are off, we don't have to accept it. We can be the change, starting with the one we see in the mirror. Amen? We can look at that person in the mirror and say, this is not who I'm supposed to be if we're out of whack. We can say, God, you made me better. You made me to do things differently. God, I'm going to be who you want me to be. And just to share a little bit of my testimony, because I didn't start off as a Christian with a microphone as a pastor. How many know that? So when did I stop cussing? When I believed that I was blessed and I had words that were better than curse words. When did I stop looking at pornography? When I believed that I was blessed and prosperous and knew God had a wife for me and I didn't have to do things with myself in the shower. Are you guys listening? I'm going to keep it real with you. When did I stop fighting? When did I stop, you know, wanting to be violent with people? And it was after a Christian. I still got into a fight as a Christian, okay? So <laughs> some of y'all looking at me right now. It's a little bit hard for me to go on from here if you don't understand that, that God can do this in somebody's life, okay? Okay, be patient with my testimony now. Yes, I got into a fight as a Christian. I cussed as a Christian. I lusted as a Christian. And there are still sins that I may sin even now as a pastor Christian. But listen, when I got free from those things, it was because I believed I was blessed. And when you hear these things, don't just say it's for somebody else. Say, this is for me. Somebody say, this is for me. Say, I'm too blessed to be stressed. Come on. See, we have to believe that God blessed us to get us out of the mess. When the devil's messing, God's blessing. There will be tests, but God will take the test and turn it into a testimony. I know you guys hear me say these one-liners a lot, and you, you begin to think, man, they're just cheesy. No, these things will keep your mind right. This will save you $1,000 from going to the counselor this week. Are you listening? I'm not saying counselors are bad, but it will save you some money if you can get some of these one-liners in your life. Can I get a little bit in the monitor, please? Thank you. Somebody say bless. Thank you. This was one of the first scriptures that I learned. And I began to look at it from this point of view, that God said I could do this. And if my God said I could do this, the one who created me, then I can do it. God's not going to ask me to do something I can't do. And so the scripture's like, you know, greater is he that's in, in you than he that's in the world, and I can do all things through Christ. You've got to apply that into this part of your life. Because if you don't see Christ as the answer to your attitude, you are going to be a Christian but not blessed. Are you listening to me? You will not have the kind of blessings that God wants to give you in your life. And, and let me, maybe I should just clarify here. Though blessings can manifest as financial prosperity and as, as jobs, education, housing, and land, and though blessings can come across that way, the greatest blessings that you're going to have, we could go to the Beatitudes after this, the lifestyle of blessing, are going to be the inner blessings of inner peace and character and the way that you understand yourself and the way God made you. Amen? To be meek and to be humble. But it 
will manifest into the outside world. It will transform the way you interact on your job. But you have to believe that God wants you blessed. How many believe God wants you blessed? Okay, let's read it together. I'm going to read the whole Psalm chapter 1, and then we'll get into it. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. Can you imagine me as a new Christian, just a few days old in the Lord, starting to read this? Can you see how that would change the way I think about things? That's what I'm saying. I mean, this was one of the first books that I began to read. And for some of you, if you have never seen it like this, man, I pray that you get it as God has been giving it to me. That is powerful. He just told you how to stay in that blessing and how not to let somebody take away that blessing from you. This is the way you keep the blessing in your marriage. This is the way you keep the blessing on your job, in your community. How many know our community would be blessed if we did this right here? Instead of setting records already coming into this month with murders and shootings already at the 1st of July. How many know our city would be changed? Our politicians would be changed. Whose delight is in the law of the Lord, who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water. Which yield, it's all right to get excited. Come on, brother. Amen. You're like a tree, man of God, planted by streams of water, which yield its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Woo! Come on. Some of you are like, oh, I don't know about that prosperity gospel. You better get you some prosperity gospel. The gospel is to prosper you. You see, I'm so tired of these used car salesmen preachers taking this word prosperity and running it through the mud. Man, let that go, you swindler, and give it back to the body of Christ. I'm blessed, amen. I am prosperous. That's how God made me to be. That's how he made you to be. And I'm not blessed and prosperous to be like a pimp behind the pulpit. I am blessed and prosperous to be a tree planted in my community to have leaves that bring healing and fruit that brings change and health and substance. Amen. People are supposed to come to the trees of our life and receive all the good that God has there for us. Hallelujah, I'm so blessed today to talk to you about being blessed because there is nothing that you can do to earn this. God has already prepared it and given it for you, but you have to believe it. Young adults, you have to believe it. Don't be discouraged right now just praying for the rapture to come. Believe that God is going to give you dreams and visions and opportunities to build and to prosper and to be a world changer, history maker, and roof breaker. Believe God that you're going to bring justice to the land. You're going to bring inventions and, and, and blessings through and new ideas to the land. You are going to be a unifier. Come on, somebody. You're going to be a person that can build and prosper things in this world as a leader. That's how God made us to be. And that's why, if you look at the Jewish people, imagine waking up and reading these kinds of things every morning. What do you think that's going to do to your culture? That's going to have you got some smart people that are going to start running things. Are you listening? And that's why God has blessed the Jewish people. You put this in your mind every day. You put this in your heart every day. You're not going to let somebody outwork you. You're not going to let somebody with a bad attitude get you out of that job so you don't lose, uh, so that you don't get that promotion. You're going to keep that job, go over 
over that attitude and prosper better than them. Right? You're, you're going to be somebody that others can look up to when you read this kind of, kind of faith building words every day. Look at this, verse 4. Not so the wicked. Not so the wicked. They are the opposite of what we just read. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. And, and what chaff is, is, is that, that skin that goes around the wheat. It's like a little leafy substance that goes around the wheat. And when they would shake it or, you know, do things to beat it so the wheat would fall, that they would want the chaff to be caught in the air. So as they're beating it and doing all these things with it, the, the wheat falls because it's heavier. And then this light little, you know, skin around the wheat would just get taken by the wind. And what Jesus is saying is that's what the wicked are like. Bill Gates without Christ is like the wind, like chaff being blown by the wind. Why are we intimidated by these people? Are you listening to me? All kings and leaders are like chaff being blown by the wind. They are not like our God. And you are here representing your God. You are greater than them in this world with authority and ability. Why are we as Christians acting like we're less than when God has said that we are more than conquerors? We are not supposed to look at the chaff of this world. Look at it like that. You're not supposed to look at the chaff of this world and be intimidated by them. They have no foundation. You're supposed to look at them as the very thing that they are. That You're supposed to look at them as the very lightweight thing that they are. You're not supposed to be intimidated by them. You're supposed to not look at the problems of this world and be intimidated by it. You're supposed to know, man, that's just like chaff, dust that gets blown away. Somebody say right here. Say, but right here there's a foundation that can't get blown away. Amen. That's what you got to believe today. I have a foundation. I'm bringing forth wheat. I'm bringing forth substance. I'm not that light thing that's worthless being blown by the wind. Verse 5, therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assemblies of the righteous. In the assembly of the righteous. You see, they think they're going to come before God and they're going to stand and make a, a debate or make a point against God and say, well, God, you know, the world uh, taught me that all religions are right. They think they're going to stand and have some type of back and forth with God. No, it says he's going to put them right down to their knees. He's going to break their kneecaps. He's going to have them, have them confess he's Lord, and then he's going to give them the boot to hell. Do you understand that? That's our scriptures. And I know for some of us that love people and we want the best for them, it's hard to see him handling folks like that, but that's how he's going to handle sinners. You don't want to be handled that way. You will not stand on the day of judgment if you are wicked. But listen, even though the righteous, we start on our knees, what is he going to do? Somebody say, lift us up. Come on, somebody say, lift me up, Jesus. He is going to lift us up because he says that he resists the proud, but he gives more grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he might lift you up. Come on, somebody say, lift me up, Jesus. Amen. We go to our knees too. That's right. In humility, not better than any sinner in the world because we all were sinners like them. But as we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, he lifts us up. And then he does that, gets that dust off of us, puts on us that robe of righteousness and says, well done, my good and faithful servant. You like me, come in the kingdom and rule this thing. He called us to be kings and princes and to be rulers. Now get up and go conquer the earth with me. We're going to come down on white horses ruling the earth. Are you guys ready for that? You all come into rule and reign. If you with Christ, we're coming to rule and reign. 
We will be here when the kingdom of God comes. As surely as there is a kingdom of this world ruled by Satan and his evil demons that we are uh, fighting against, warring against, as surely as you see evil now, folks, you will see the righteousness of God come to this earth and you will be that solution to the problem. Amen? The righteous are the solution to the problem. We will come and rule and reign with Christ. So the wicked, they're like chaff. They're nothing. Why are we intimidated by them? We should not look to them as anything more than just things being blown by the wind. They can't even stand in the presence of our God. And our God not only allows us to stand in his presence, but he anoints us with authority to be leaders and rulers, the Bible says. And then now look at the next verse. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. This is why I don't understand when people get upset with me when I talk about ultimatums when I preach. Is that not what my scripture is full of? My scripture is full of an ultimatums. Ultimatums. You know what they are, right? Do this or this is going to happen. Sometimes people call them threats, okay? How many know the Bible be making threats? That's, that's a, pretty much a threat right there. Like if you don't want to be righteous, you're going to be destroyed. And I've shared this before, honestly, and I don't see how people miss it, in the most popular verse in the Bible that everybody knows, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, right in that verse, it said that whoever believes in him shall not what? Perish. You shall not perish. That is a threat. That means if you don't believe in him, you are going to perish. So this, when you get down to it, is very important. Now, as I said from the very beginning, many of us would say, Pastor, I'm believing in Jesus. He is Lord. I believe in his death, burial, and resurrection. But I struggle in life. I struggle with walking and talking like Jesus. I struggle with doing the things that are before. If you could scroll up there, please. These three things are a struggle for me, Pastor, if I'm going to be honest. And you know what? That's honest, and God's going to meet you where you're at and help you today. Go, and go all the way up, please. Look at these three things. And people, let's be honest. Do you struggle with this? Walking with the wicked. How many here, you don't have to raise your hand, but you struggle in walking with the wicked. In other words, they are always tempting you to walk where they walk, and that's a battle for you. you got to be honest with that, and then pray to the Lord, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. But you have to start off in being honest with them, and I was. I remember one day, I was delivering pizzas, and that's what I did uh, before I became a Christian. I did it so that I could smoke weed and get high and come to work basically whenever I wanted, so I was not a responsible pizza delivery guy. <laughs> um, so honestly, man, I have some weird stories, and I'm not going to tell them here, okay, uh, but some crazy stories of me doing that. And so one day, I am out delivering pizzas, and I see my friends at the hotel I just dropped off some pizzas at. And they're like, man, we just rented a hotel room because that was popular in my time, you know, for guys like my age that maybe didn't have their own place. They would rent a hotel for the weekend or something, and they would just party there. And they told me, man, look, we're, we're going to be right here. Uh, we're going to do X, Y, and Z. Come check us out. You know, come, come hit us up after work. And I remember going home that day after work having to literally, everybody check this out. Man, you need to hear this, and you need to understand this. And going to my room turning off the lights, falling on my face, and saying, Jesus, I cannot get up from here until you take that desire from me. 
to go out there with my friends because I can't live like this. I have so much pain and inner struggle in me right now. It was hurting me so bad because I didn't have any friends. I felt alone. I felt like that's where I felt my love. That's where I felt like I belonged. That's where everything made sense to me. That's what was natural to me. But I said to the Lord, like, I can't live like this. This, I know there's something that, that this is not right. I, I, I don't want to be battling this in this way every single day of my life, like feeling I'm always wanting to be a sinner, you know, but over here, I'm going to try to be a Christian. I want to be a real Christian. I want to understand what it means to love you. I want to love you more than I ever love this. But you see, I had to go to my knees. I had to pray. I had to fall on my face before God and be honest with him and honest in that prayer. That's why the Bible says in other places that you have to call out to the Lord. You know, so often right now we are ashamed to call out to the Lord. You feel like if you call out to the Lord that you are going to embarrass yourself before him. But I want to encourage you today. Many of you need to learn to just call out to Jesus. Jesus, I need you, Lord. Jesus, I I can't make it without you. You got to just talk to him from your heart. And, and I needed that, and I'm being honest with you, and I know I'm not alone in this place because th- this is the, the secret to the sauce. A lot of people come to Metro Praise, and you like the pizza, you manja, but you want to know what's in the sauce. Here's the secret of the sauce because you see a lot of people from different backgrounds and different lifestyles, and you want to know how did they get to live free? How did they get this confidence that you now see on them? It's because they took those moments to get alone with lo- the Lord. And say, Lord, change my heart. Every part of the way I think about things, change my emotions. I know you made me new. I know I have your presence. But, Lord, I need to know how to live it. I need to know where to walk. Literally, I need to know where to walk. And and I, I don't know how long I was there for, but I know I was there for quite some time. And I basically just prayed myself to sleep. And I just went to bed. And that was day one of not going out with my friends. Do you understand? That's how you get the first day of deliverance. That's how the first day of freedom is there. That's how it starts. That's, that, that was the first day that now you see the fruit of 20 years later. That was the first day now where I could trust the Lord. And I understood, man, he had my back, that he was going to take care of me. The next one, it says, don't stand in the way of sinners. Don't be where they're at. So notice, in life, you're either walking standing or sitting, and laying down or sleeping would be a form of sitting, right? So he's going to talk about these three positions of your life. The next one, he says, don't stand in the place or in the way where sinners take. Don't be standing where they stand. And what does that mean? That means standing on the foundations and on the mindsets that they're standing on. It doesn't just mean literally like standing here or standing there. It could mean that to some of you, but I think that goes back to the walking, where they're walking. But here, I believe it's the kind of stands you take life. There are some of you here that deal with worldview issues because you were raised to take a stand for something that God told you not to stand for. For example, in my generation, we began to get pro-homosexual in the 90s and pro-abortion. That's where it really came out. Up until that point, late 70s, early 80s, it was kind of secret. You wouldn't talk about it if you were homosexual. You wouldn't promote or shout your abortion. But in 95, in those times when I was, you know, doing my thing, Kurt Cobain generation, Tupac, and, and that, you know, that way, wh- whatever cultural reference you need, like, that's where I'm at. I'm in the mid-90s, you know what I'm saying? Uh, uh, just living my life. And I noticed in my culture, my generation, people want to start forwarding homosexuality. And people want to start taking a stand for that. And then others want to start taking a stand for abortion. And I tell this story just to my own shame because I was definitely a wild child, okay? My church 
that I used to be a part of was taking a stand against abortion, holding up signs. And as I was going out skateboarding with my friend in his car, I said, bro, slow down, super slow. And I rolled down his window and I dropped my pants and I mooned them as they were, uh, you know, protesting against abortion. That's what your crazy former sinner, now pastor did. That's what I did. Because that in my mind was, was ridiculous. What difference does it make? You know what I'm saying? And then let's just be honest, homosexuality to me didn't bother me and lesbianism turned me on. So I'm like, what do I have a problem with this? I'm a sinner. But you see, you make those stands and you don't know why you're standing where you're standing. Why did I ever think murdering a child was okay? Why did I think that was funny to make fun of Christians standing up against that? See, somebody had taught me that probably on MTV. One of the musicians I was listening to probably taught me that. Some movie, some sitcom, something in my culture that was pushing these things got into my system, and I began to own it like it was me. I was a dummy. I hadn't studied for myself. I hadn't looked at what, uh, you know, an ultrasound was and made a decision if that was a human being inside of a mother's womb. I hadn't looked at homosexuality from the scripture and from society and from what makes a healthy family. I was just going with the flow. I was standing wherever, in other words, they gave me permission to stand. If they said, look, you can stand here, this is where I would stand. If they said, look, this is cool, this is where I would stand. I used to listen to Cypress Hill, and they wore beanies, you know, those kind of sock hats. They'd put them over their eye, have these big silver hoops on their goatee, where, you know, they were like from California. They would have like their, uh, you know, their flannels buttoned up here, you know, walking around like Cholo. I'm from Fort Wayne, Indiana, walking around like I'm from Cypress Hill. I won't take it high, so high. That's, that was like my mantra. That was how I lived. Why was I doing that? You know, why wasn't, why wasn't I doing Bollywood? Why wasn't I dressing like somebody from China? Why wasn't I doing what people in Japan do? Why was this my image? Why was this my stance? It was because somebody gave it to me. The enemy used my culture to give it to me and say, this is what you stand for. This is what you're about. You're a young adult. You like this, this, and that. Well, then you stand for this, this, and that. And you see, that's what's happening in our churches right now. Let's just be honest. How many Christians do you know right now that are standing for the wrong things? They don't even know why they're standing where they're standing. They don't even know why they're in agreement or in partnership with those they're in agreement or partnership of. It's because they've been deceived. And like most people, when you're deceived, you don't know you're deceived. And so the Bible wants us to look at where we're standing and to filter it through the Word of God. Is where I'm standing the Word? Is that where the Word's at? Because he he said that I need to build my life upon the Word of God, that I need to walk in the steps of the Word of God, that it's a lamp unto my what? Feet, that I need to check where my feet are at. And that's why the Bible says when you go to war against the devil, you've got to have on the gospel shoes of peace because you've got to walk where the gospel walks. Come on, somebody. And then lastly, don't sit in the seat of mockers. As I was sharing in some of the other examples, I was a mocker. And so often right now I see that same spirit in this culture, probably even more than what I've ever seen. One of the starter packs right now for the woke people is the clown emoji. How many have ever argued with somebody that's woke and then they just put back to you a clown emoji? You know what I'm talking about? These clowns love calling everybody clowns. 
That's how the world is. They just want to mock you. They don't have to say anything of substance. All they have to do is mock you, get someone else to laugh at you, and then they think they won the argument. No, my, my, my friend, you just proved you are a fool. You're the village idiot. That's all you did. Seriously, you, you just showed us you don't even know how to have a conversation. But that's a part of Christianity, and that's why many Christians don't understand why they're not blessed. It's because when you hear a preacher talking about heaven or hell, you then mock me. You then say, oh, you hear that preacher talk about, oh, if we don't do this, we're going to hell. Man, who does he think he is? See, you're mocking me. You're a mocker. And then you go around other friends that mock what the church is saying. You know, we taught you the scripture, you know, pastors and leaders, we're teaching you that it's Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. And then you mock us, and then you put gay stuff up on our Facebook, and then you put Jesus sashaying and flipping his hair back. You out of your mind. You are crazy. That Jesus is going to stomp you like grapes and pour out your blood like wine. Are you listening? You are not going to mess with Jesus on judgment day. He's not going to sashay and say, come on, fellas, let's go here. He's going to trample his enemies. We are helping you, but you're mocking us, and Christians mock us. I used to stand out here on Wednesdays before King's Kids and preach the gospel on Wednesdays, and one of my friends told me that his friend, who was a pastor down the road, would, would be passing me as he would be going to his Wednesday Bible study. He called up my friend, and he said, what's wrong with Joe? I see Joe out there all the time with the Bible. He looks like a cult member. He looks like the Jehovah Witness. What is that? What are they doing over there? Mocking me. Mocking me. Mocking the gospel. Mocking standing for righteousness. And that's what I see Christians doing. Christians. I'm not talking about sinners right now. I'm talking about I see Christians walking where they're not supposed to walk. Christians standing on principles that they're not supposed to stand on. And then mocking and making fun of the things of God. As if there's not going to be a repercussion for it. And this is what I say to those folks. Okay, yeah, you may have a relationship with God and you may skirt by the skin of your teeth to heaven, but you are leading your family and your culture to hell with the way you're living as a supposed Christian. I know God's grace runs deep and it can transform these people and do a great work in them, but they have to acknowledge that this is working against the things of God. And I'll, I'll name a name here. See, Bill Hybels came to town. I wasn't here, but he came to Chicago with an idea. Well, I'm going to make church crossless because it offends too many people. So he took the cross out of churches. And then he said, I'm going to make church uh, songs not about the blood, not about redemption, not about sinners being saved. I'm going to make church songs like what they're hearing on the radio, like pop songs, where it's just self-improvement. You can make it. You're a winner, like a Katy Perry song's your worship song. And then he said, when we preach messages, we're only going to preach them about 20 minutes, and we're only going to emphasize on that which will encourage them because we don't want to discourage them. And he started what was called Willow Creek Church and the seeker-sensitive movement in the late 80s. When I came into Christianity around 95, I began to hear this, and I said, man, this is weak and powerless. This would never have transformed a person like me. I needed the raw, uncut gospel. How many are thankful for the raw, uncut gospel? Amen. By God's grace, that's how we need it, raw and uncut. But here was the thing. He started influencing all my friends. 
because, you know, we all wanted to be pastors of good churches and have reached the community. And Willow Creek, if you drive by there now by Barrington, man, it looks like a mall. It is huge. It is large and in charge, man. And so we began to be tempted by this, lure by this. We're Christians, right? And we believe many in that organization are Christians. But as I could sniff it out and see it, it didn't take much discernment to understand that this was going to lead people astray. And so over time, when I came to Chicago, this was at the height of their time, you know, in mid-2000, uh, early 2005 and uh, eight and things like this, all the way up to, to 2012, he was still, you know, pretty much pastoring there. And I would meet people that went to Willow Creek. One guy I met with, I was fishing, and as I was fishing with him, he's cussing, and then I start, you know, feeling led to preach to him. He tells me he doesn't really believe in God, and I'm like, man, I'm glad I met you today. I, I'm going to fish for you as I'm fishing for fish, amen. I'm going to reach out and touch you right now in Jesus' name, amen. And in the middle of that, he's like, oh, but man, I'm good because I go to Willow Creek and I volunteer in their sound ministry. <laughs> I'm like, you are a cussing atheist serving in the sound ministry? But you see, that was their mindset. That was their mindset. Another time I was out rock climbing and I ran into one of their folks, guys smoking a cigarette and all of this and hanging out. And he tells me he's the youth pastor of Willow Creek. <laughs> Up here just smoking, and then he says, yeah, man, every now and then we get out as men, we smoke, we cuss, you know, we got to get all of our man stuff out. I'm like, you guys are messed up. Wow. Well, it comes to find out this dude had been touching on women and violating them from the early days of when they started that church. And then it comes to find out that they had all types of mess going on with lifestyles being permitted and people having sex outside of marriage, working in the ministry. I mean, it just turned out to be a mess. But here's the problem. It already did enough damage by the time they got him out because my friends still believe in what he taught. I look at my friends during the time of COVID and they followed the, the Willow Creek playbook. You don't say nothing. You just follow everybody's lead. You stand where they tell you to stand. And if anybody says something's wrong with you, you mock them and tell them how big your church is and how <laughs> small their church is. You mock the other Christians that aren't as smart, as rich, or whatever you think they're not as much as you. You mock them. And see, that has led our generation astray. In our time, we have watched the church lose its voice, lose its authority, lose its blessings. And so today, you can just write down your notes because I want to share a few more scriptures. But study the life of Joseph. Study the life of Daniel. Study the life of some of these Bible characters. They were blessed despite the mess they lived in in their culture. They didn't bend to the culture to be prosperous. They stood their ground, and God blessed them and made them fruitful. Amen? Amen. I want to show you a few things here today about the blessing. Somebody say, I'm blessed. Amen. Let's go to James chapter 4, verse 2. If you don't believe that God has something good for you to live humble and holy and to be prosperous, if you don't know how to ask for it, if you don't know how to live right to keep it so you don't lose it, you're not going to have what he wants for you. D.L. Moody told the story of a person going to heaven and seeing a room full of treasures. He then asked the angel, it's fictional obviously, but Moody tells this story. He then asked the angel, this person asked the angel, why is this room full of treasures? And the angel said, it's because this is what you were meant to receive on earth, but you never asked, and they stayed up here. 
Do you all get that? You're supposed to bring heaven down to earth. Whatever God has stored up for you in the storehouses of heaven, he's supposed to open those windows up and bring on down to you. You are not supposed to wait to heaven to see the blessings of prosperity because you're already going to be blessed and prosperous up there. Amen. There's no devil to war with up there. There's no alderman to fight with up there or, or a government to try to take it up there. You and I are supposed to bring the kingdom of God here. The violent take it by force and the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. We are in a kingdom battle against the enemy. We are to forcefully bring the kingdom here. Can I hear an amen? So you have to desire the things of God. Not just uh, the, the things of this world. Look at uh, James chapter 4, verse 2. You desire, but you do not have. You kill, and that's talking with their words. You use murderous words. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. How many know this is real? People fighting all the time about what they have, uh, what they don't have, and what somebody else has they think they should have. You covet, but you do not uh, get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask you do not ask who? You do not ask God. You're not asking God for what you need. And then some people say, well, I've tried it and it didn't work. Well, then you might have came to verse 3. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. So he's saying there's one group of people, they don't even know how to ask God for blessings. They don't know how to ask God to transform their community. They don't know how to ask God to change their behavior so that they can live a different life. They don't even know how to ask. And then there's others, they're asking all the time. They're throwing it out there like lottery tickets, but they're only asking so that they can look like a peacock to the world and everybody be envious of them. And God says both of those are wrong. We're supposed to ask from the right motives to be able to be used by God to be a blessing to this world. Somebody say, blessed to be a blessing. Come on, somebody. You have to ask. Now go with me to 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 1. How many want to ask God for big things today? Amen. I want to ask God for big things. I don't want to just uh, sit by and let the world pass me by and not ask God for the treasures he has. I don't want the world to be uh, unchanged by my life. I want to change the world by my life. How many want to make a difference in your life? You don't have to have a lot to start with. You just have to give whatever you have to God and say, bless it. Do you understand that principle? Oh, y'all ain't listening to me. You're turning in your scriptures. Or are you just bored now? You want me to start lighting off fireworks? You want me to have Uncle Sam come up here and sing you a song, some church production of 4th of July? Is that what we need to keep your attention? Come on, everybody look up at me, please. How many know, if you check in, you should know this. How many know you don't need a lot to start making a difference with the blessings God has given you? You just need to give him whatever he's given you right now and ask him to bless it, multiply it, and use it. How many understand that? Thank you. I want to tell you a story now because you all missed it at the first time, so now I'm going to go storytelling, okay? When I first got saved, I didn't have a lot of blessings, God had blessed me on the inside. He had transformed my life through those times of prayer, and I was starting to see it work out enough for me to trust him. So at this point, say about three to six months into my salvation, going with my friends to the hotel wasn't the thing that I was wrestling with anymore. What I began to wrestle with was whether or not my life could make a difference. Now, believe it or not, but at 18 years old, when I gave my heart to Jesus, I thought that I might have messed up too much of my life to ever see something good come out of it. I'm serious. How many know the devil's a liar? But how many know suicide is real even for young people? How many know depression is even real for young people? So at 18, this was a real thing in my mind. 
did I mess this up so much that I cannot see what God has for me. That was a real concern because I had done so many drugs. I wasn't a virgin anymore. I had been locked up eight times. I had messed up my mind. My mind was not right. Sometimes I would go to bed and I would just shake. And I don't know if it was because I was, uh, you know, dealing with the, you know, the detoxing from drugs or if it was because I was afraid of the dark now that I wasn't high anymore. I don't know. But sometimes I would just go to bed and I would have to fight spiritual battles. I would have to rebuke Satan just to go to sleep. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? And I'm talking like it, it began to get into my head like, did I do too much out there to be able to be used by God over here now? That was my question. That may not be some of yours, but that was my question. And God had to tell me through stories like this, and I'm going to share it with you right here. God had to begin to encourage me that the past was the past and that he was going to give me double for my trouble and that whatever this had been taken from me by the enemy, he was going to give back, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Amen. But I had to believe that wasn't just something he told somebody else. I had to believe that that was what he told me. It couldn't just be that he was a God that blesses you or he was a God that blesses you. He had to be a God that blesses me. He had to be a God that had my back. He had to be a God that could turn it around and turn my frown upside down and put a pep in my step. He had to be that for me. I had to see it. I had to understand it. I had to go through it to see it for myself. And how many know sometimes you'd start just with the mustard seed of faith? I'm not saying I had a lot of faith, but God put enough in my heart to be able to say, do you at least trust me that I got you? That I didn't, I mean, I'm telling you, here's some more one-liners, but y'all better check into this. He would say things just like they would always teach me. He did not bring you this far to let you fall. He would tell me, I didn't bring you this far not to let you fall. It's not my plan for you to die at 18 now and it just be like, well, he made it to heaven. No, I got plans to prosper you. I got things for you that I've had planned before you were even born. I wrote them down in my book. Not one of these things shall fail to come to pass. Come on, somebody. I had to start to believe just a mustard seed of faith. Okay, the God who created the heavens and the earth cares enough about me to help me understand where I'm going to get an education, to help me know who I'm going to marry, to help me know I couldn't even see it, but one day I'm going to be a father. He had to speak to an 18-year-old kid that just came off drugs, being in and out of jail, being in and out of bad relationships. He had to speak to me in a way I could understand. And these kinds of stories, I'm not saying these are the only ones. I'm just saying these kinds of stories spoke to me right here. Look at this story in 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 1. It's about Elisha and his friend and his friend's wife. The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that he revered the Lord, but now his creditors, his creditor rather, is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. There's so much culture right here. I just want to take a moment to help you understand it. There was a time in the Bible where there was a company of prophets. How many like to be in that company? How many like to stand where they stand, walk where they walk, sit where they sit? Amen? The company of prophets. We need to bring that back in Jesus' name. Is there a company of prophets in this house today? People doing the will of the Lord. Amen. The next thing that we learned during this time of their culture is that if you had debt and you weren't able to pay it, you would become a slave. So this wasn't based on race or skin color or culture or even losing a war. This would just be like you couldn't pay off what you owed. You could become a slave. And if you died and the debt was not taken care of before you died, your children could become a slave. How many know that's a scary time to live? <laughs> 
That's a very scary time to live. And so this is the situation that this man found himself in. Before he died, he was in debt. And I want to pray the, the breaking of debt off of everybody in here in Jesus' name. Amen. Because even though they can't take you literally as a slave, you will still become slave-like to your debtor by that high credit card bill you got to pay, by those high uh, rates you got to pay. So learn to live by cash and blessing and prosperity. And if you take out loans, do it for your benefit, not the creditor's benefit alone. So this is how he was living for whatever reason. Maybe he was new to the company of prophets and he didn't know how to prosper yet, okay? He was just getting his stuff together. But he died, and now the wife says, hey, I need your help, man of God, because if you don't help me, these two boys are going to go have to be slaves of this creditor. Elisha replied to her, how can I help you? Tell me what you have in your house. Now notice this. He says, I'm going to give you not just a hand out. I'm going to give you a hand up. You've got to participate in this. Tell me what you got in your house. Now listen to this. This woman then says, your servant has nothing there at all except a small jar of olive oil. Can I talk to somebody today that feels like they have nothing but a small jar of something? You might say, I don't have much, but I just got a small jar of talent to, you know, to build or to, you know, to paint. Or I just got a small talent to work with customers. Or I just got a small jar of a savings, but God told me to start an Amazon business. Can I talk to somebody today that feels like you don't have anything but something that's small? You're, you're in the right place for a miracle for God to do something if you know that you're blessed, amen. If you know that God is on your side, he will take care of you. Do not let the pimping pastors take these messages from you. These are the messages that are encouraging our brothers and sisters in Korea in concentration camps. They are believing that no matter what they have, God can use it to bless them. He will take it and turn it around. There will be something that comes out of this for their good. You have to believe this. I am not trying to preach to you a shallow prosperity message, but I'm preaching to you a prosperity message that has been tested and tried by our ancestors, and they put down these stories to encourage you. If you feel like you don't have something, you only got a little bit of it. Are you listening to me? That's what she said back. Man, I'm, I'm 40 years old. I've tried three jobs. I don't have anything except this one desire to try to make spanks. See, it gets quiet when I get into real world stuff. Come on. A middle-aged woman said, I don't have nothing except some old pantyhose that I think if I pull them up high enough, some lady's getting happy, will hold it together for me. Get her net worth for me, please. I know it's in the billions. This woman said, all I have is old pantyhose, but I think if I pull them up like this over my waist, it will keep me from having rolls at the barbecue. So she said, I'm going to start putting up some, some, uh, some pantyhose on me so I don't have rolls. And then somebody looked at her one day, and then they looked at her another day and said, oh, man, something's different about you. What changed? You don't look like the same. Like, I just saw you yesterday. What's different about you? Oh, come on. Come over here. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. Look, man, I took my pantyhose. You did what? I took my pantyhose. But listen, I took my pantyhose, and I put them around my belly, and they took away the rolls. And now, look, feel right here. Look, I feel flat, right? It, it, it is flat, and you don't see it. Oh, okay. Well, can I do it? Can you, I, do, I, I don't know how to cut like you cut the pantyhose. Can, can I? Well, I'll give, I'll give you a pair. You know, how about two bucks? I'll give you a pair. She started selling these, these things that became known as spanks. Put it up here since we're talking about it, please. What's that? 
like a girdle, but they've been around before. There she is, Sarah Blakey. How much is this woman worth right here? 600, she's not, uh, there we go, is worse. So I thought she was a billionaire. But how many will take 610 million? Come on, somebody. You don't know what's going to get brought up in church. Amen. Back to the scripture. Go back to the story of this woman. She said, I don't have anything except just, I just got a little bit of oil that I got to fry up some food with. I got a little bit of oil that I'm going to make something with. I just got this little bit of oil. Look at verse 3. Elisha said, go around and ask your neighbors for empty jars. See, she, she's going to have to partner with others. She's going to take the little bit that she has, and she's going to find people that will trust her enough to give her what the man of God is asking for, and she's going to partner. You see, you can find partners to your success. Go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Would you highlight that, please? Don't ask for just a few. One more time. Let's say it together. One, two, three. Don't ask for just a few. This is good preaching right here. He says, I want you to go around to your neighbors, those that trust you, that don't think you're so crazy that they couldn't lend you these jars. I want you to go ask your neighbors for jars, but don't just go for a few. Get as many as you possibly can. Verse 4, then go inside, shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour into all the jars as each is filled. Put it to the side. So just start pouring and then put it to the side. Start pouring. Get a new one. Put it to the side. Verse 5, she left him, shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her and she kept pouring. Somebody say she kept pouring. Come on, amen. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. But he replied, there is not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. She went and told the man of God, and he said, go sell the oil, pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what's left. Isn't that a good God? God took care of her. God did a miracle. I still believe in miracles. I still believe in God taking care of us. I want to know today, though, are you willing to partner with people and ask for some jars and not just ask for a few? You see, banks only like you when you got money, but the problem is you go to them when you don't have money, right? When you're looking for a loan. So they're tricky like that, but you keep asking, not just a few. You keep asking until you can get 20 of them to support you, until they come begging you to be a part of your business. You go to your friends, your partners, uh, uh, friends to be partners in your business. You go to family members you can trust. You begin to believe that God has blessed you with something that's worth sharing, and you want them to be a part of it. And you don't just get a few. You get as many as you can. And that's why as I began to become a Christian, I began to realize that like, um, you know, what was his name? Sir Mix-a-Lot, Jesus liked big ask. Jesus liked big ask. Are you listening to me? He likes it. He likes it. See, Sir Mix-a-Lot said he liked something big, but it's not the kind of thing that will change your life. Are you listening to me? But I like a big ask. Jesus, like a big ask, A-S-K, pastor ain't preaching. He's just waking you up on 4th of July. Jesus is talking to us, and he says, I like a big ask, and I can't deny. Those other brothers, they just lie if they don't like this. Are you listening to me? You better learn how to ask something from God that's big. Go to God with something that's bigger than you, bigger than what you think you can even accomplish. So when I began to go and pray and I said, God, how are you going to do this? He said, don't just ask for something small. Put out that big ask. Put it out there. And I said, Lord, I want to go to Bible college. 
I put that in your heart. I'm going to do that, son. God, I want to get married today. Uh, get one day, rather. He said, I put that in your heart, son. I'm going to give that to you. You see, when you begin to realize that God is putting desires in your heart for the ask, you get into the relationship of Jesus and the dance with the Father. Jesus is putting those things in your heart so you ask the Father. Jesus has put that in you. How many can look at every sinner, and I don't care how crazy and wild they are, how many can look at every sinner and see the image of God in their gift and talent? How many can see in, in Oprah Winfrey the gift and talent of God in her to make friends, to influence people, to be a listener, to be kind-hearted? How many can see the wisdom of God in Bill Gates and the way he created computer programs? I mean, it doesn't matter where you go. How many know no matter what sinner you're looking at, you can see the shadow or the handiwork of God, but they're neglecting the real. They're, you know, they're just taking the, the, the shadow. They're taking the, the thumbprint and said the hand itself. And that's what God is saying to us is I put this in you. It may not seem like a lot. It may seem like a little, but I put it in you to do a great work in you. Vinny, would you come, please? I got one more scripture. How many are blessed today? Amen. Go to Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5. If that offended you guys, I'm sorry. I just, it's just the way I talk, all right? I'd like to keep it real up here with you, amen? I'd like to keep it real, okay. Amen. Look at Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5. How many rem remember learning this? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. How many have heard that before? If this is the first time you've ever heard it, this is my honor to share this with you. This passage will change your life and it will never stop changing you. When you get this in your heart, this will be a foundation. But most of us here have already heard this verse before. We, we know about this, but we don't see how practical it is in our everyday life. We don't understand that. This is teaching us how to be blessed. You see, trust in the Lord with all your heart when you're tempted to go walk with the sinners, as we read in Psalm 1. Trust the Lord. He's got better for you than the sinners that are saying, come walk with me. You know, sometimes I, I'll just be honest with you. When I tell my testimony in a, in a church like this, sometimes I feel like, you know, there's going to be people that look down on me because maybe they're going to say, well, Pastor Joe, I'm so glad you got Jesus because you were messed up. You really needed Jesus, didn't you? I'm so happy for you. And they pat me on the head. But you know me, I was valedictorian of my school, Pastor Joe. I wasn't like you mooning people. And Pastor Joe, I went to an Ivy League school or one of the best schools for my field. And Joe, I've been working hard. You know, I, I have a wonderful life. Some of what you said today really doesn't apply to me. I'm, I'm already good. I'm already blessed. You see, sometimes I fear that people will, will feel that way because they miss the entire point here. The entire point isn't Joe was messed up and Joe needed to get some of the goodies that you have because even sinners have those things. My Hindu neighbors have those things. My Muslim neighbor has those things. My atheist friend and neighbor has those things. I'm not talking about you just getting off of drugs, not having wild parties and things like that. What I'm asking you to do is look at your heart and look at where you are deceived from God's best in your life. Maybe having good finances, having you know, good healthy relationships has come natural to you. But where are you standing where God doesn't want you to stand? Are you ashamed of the gospel now? Are you standing on a universal Jesus that doesn't punish and send to hell because you're afraid 
that your CEO or your business partner is going to look down on you. See, you're just as guilty as I was. How many understand that? You're guilty just as I was as a new Christian battling with where I was going to stand in my worldview. You're just covering it up with all your worldly success. And so don't, don't hide your heart from God under your worldly success. Be honest with God. Do you trust God on your job to be a Christian of integrity like Daniel did? See, Daniel wasn't out sleeping around. Daniel didn't have a testimony like Joe. Daniel's testimony was is that even in Babylon, he was righteous and holy. Joseph, same thing, righteous and holy. So when we go to this scripture, does it apply to everybody? Yes. How many here need to trust in the Lord with all their heart? Can I see some hands in the house of God? Thank you, brothers and sisters. And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make straight paths for you. So you know what I've seen in life as I've gone through my issues of learning to be blessed and standing where I'm supposed to stand, walking where I'm supposed to walk, sitting where I'm supposed to sit. You know what I've noticed? is that there's a lot of people who talk the talk, but they don't really walk the walk of a Christian. They say they're doing it, but really they're not. And when it comes down to it, they're ashamed of the things of God. They're embarrassed. For example, some of you may not want to ever have a Bible study in your house because you don't want your neighbors to know that you're a Christian. Some of you don't want to go out to Nini's Deli to get the best empanadas in town because you're afraid that someone's going to take a picture of you and put it on the news. Some of you are here and you're afraid to tell your friend that you've been friends with for years that they will not inherit the kingdom of God because you're afraid of losing their friendship and them telling all the rest of your friends that you're a religious nut. But I want to encourage you today. Submit to the Lord. Trust in Him. Now look at verse 7, please, in closing. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. So no matter where you are in life, shun evil. What did evil look like for me? My friends going to the hotel room. What does evil look like for you? It could be a very sophisticated friend that's trying to get you to be pro-choice, to make the rape exception, right? It could be that really good gay relative that has always been your friend, has always been there for you, and now he or she is just wanting you to accept the lifestyle. You accept them as a person. You love them, right? But they want you to accept the lifestyle and go to their wedding shun evil and say, hey, I love you. I want the best for you, but I can't go to your wedding. I'm sorry. I can't consider this person your wife. I can't consider this person your husband. I can't. I can't call you uh, or consider you a different gender than how you were born. Shun evil. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your paths straight. And now look at uh, verse uh, 7. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Shun evil. This will bring health to your body, nourishment to your bones. How many some good health? Amen. Verse 9. Come on. Honor the Lord with your what? with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops, and then your barns will be filled to overflowing. Your vats will brim over with new wine. Would you stand up and bless the Lord today? If you want your crops to be blessed, you want to be overflowing, you want to have more than enough, you want wealth to be multiplied. Can I hear an amen from somebody? See, that's the way I want the Lord to do it. But he has a way he does it. And so here's my prayer for you today as the altar workers and band come, is that we are blessed according to God's word and that we uphold the standards of God in this generation. I want to see Jason's young people, his young men right here. Come on, I want to see them be blessed. How many, when you look right here, come on. 
How many, when you look at these young men, you can see a mayor, a business owner, and an entrepreneur? I mean, come on, a teacher. I mean, why not? Why not from our young people? There was a, um, a man that got saved at a church in Canada. He was a drunkard. I've told you guys the story. But he got saved at a small Pentecostal church like this, gave his heart to Jesus, raised his son in the church. His son became one of the top ten billionaires of Canada, one of the richest people in, a, in, in the country. And he donates his money to Pentecostal churches and to charity and is a man of God even to this day. You see, where are the wealth? Where are the wealthy? Mostly are, are not in church, aren't, am I right? The Bible says most of the wicked don't serve the Lord. Most of the wealthy, rather, are wicked, and they don't serve the Lord. And so, so then we as Christians, we get, we get discouraged, and we go, well, well, maybe God can't really bless them. Maybe these young people, they can just wait for the rapture, amen, and hope to not get beheaded by the Antichrist. That's our prayer for them. No, my prayer is that the next invention the next Amazon, the next college is in their heart and God establishes it. Do you, do you get where I'm going? The next family that transforms a generation comes from them. When we look at these children right here, they're our hope and our future. But parents, we've got to show them that we're not afraid of having a big ask. Amen? We're not putting our ask on Weight Watchers. Are you listening? Can I go there just for a few more moments? Some of you have allowed life to put your ask on Weight Watchers, but God says he likes it big. He wants the big ask. Look up at the board right here, 100,000. Why do you think we put that up here when there wasn't even two people in the church? When it was just my wife and I and nobody else really coming? Because we said, God, if you kept it a promise to us to have a marriage, to have a family, to have a Bible college, to have a degree, all of these things that were huge for me back then, I can believe now for 100,000. What are you putting up on the board today, Ariane? Or uh, Ariel? Ariane? Ariane, sorry. What are you putting up on the board today, sister? Come on. What are you putting up on the board? What are you putting up on the board, Jason? Everyone here has got to seek the Lord for his best. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you brought us to church today to bless us, to teach us how to live a blessed life. If you're here today and you don't know the Lord, would you confess your sins? Ask him to forgive you and confess him to be the Lord of your life. Say, Jesus, be the Lord of my life. As they're praying right now, the rest of us who are already Christians, would you look at your life? Are you living beneath the standard that God has for you? Are you living in a mess and in the messes of this world instead of the blessings that God has? If you're like me, you want more of what God has for you. You know you're going to heaven, but you want to see God do great things on earth. A few moments right now, would you pray and ask the Lord to do great things in your life? We're going to dismiss and worship in just a few moments. And if you need prayer, you can come up even now or hang back a little bit. But before we go, can I pray for you as you're praying for the blessings of God? As you're submitting to the things of the Lord? Lord, I pray for the people of this church who came to hear your word to be blessed. That you would pour out your spirit of blessing on us, oh God. That you would rise up, oh God. The desire to be prosperous, to be healthy, to be wealthy, to be a person of influence, to be wise. Oh God, that we would be generation shakers. That we would leave an inheritance and a legacy should you tarry upon this earth. Lord, I pray for our ideas to come from you, our businesses to come from you, our families to come from you. Oh, Lord, may we be like a tree planted by the streams of water whose leaf does not wither, whose fruit comes in season, 
And whatever we do prospers in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, I rebuke the spirit of poverty. I rebuke the spirit of ignorance. I rebuke the spirit of generational curses in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray for this congregation to be lifted up. Hallelujah. As we bow down in humility, would you lift us up, Jesus? Give us the power to stand, to walk, and to sit where you have us to be. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. If you believe it, somebody shout hallelujah. Slap your neighbor high five and say, I'm blessed. Come on, tell them you're blessed. Amen. Have a wonderful